Well, Merry Christmas to all of you. We now come to the time where we open God's Word and and see what He has to teach us this morning. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2. As we've gone through the Advent season and we now have come to Christmas Day, there's been anticipation, there's been excitement, there's been buildup as we've been looking forward to, as it were, the time of opening the gift that God has given to us of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we look at our passage in Matthew 2, we, we come to a time that's after Jesus' birth, that's after Christ has come into the world, and we begin to see how people are responding to the gift of Jesus. And so we read in Matthew chapter 2, the visit of the wise men. This is the Word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before him until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is good news, the Word of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You so much for this day that we can celebrate the coming of Your Son, Jesus. And we thank You that He has come, that He has put on flesh, that He has dwelt among us, and that He has lived life righteously, fulfilling the law in every way, and that He has died upon the cross for our sins, and that through Him we have life, and we have hope. And we pray that this morning You would remind us of Your goodness to us, and how we are to respond to Your gift of Jesus. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Well, i got a question this morning, and kids, you can... You can answer, I don't know if everybody needs to answer out loud all at once, that might be too loud, but what's the best Christmas present you ever received? No one wants to answer, do they? You can answer if you want to. You know, I've gotten some good Christmas presents over the years. I got a guitar one year when I was about 12, that's a good gift, right? Got some G.I. Joes, right? Got some, uh, you know, basketballs and basketball goals and things like that. Uh, And y'all need to know that this morning, Pastor Brian, in his Christmas stocking, you want to know what was there? 
This is really special because I've waited my whole life for this. The king size Reese's cup with the Reese's pieces in the middle. How about that? They have those. You can find them at Walmart. It's true. So when we think about the the gifts that we receive at Christmas and the the happiness they bring, the smiles that they put on our faces, we can kind of go back, and some of us have to go back further than others, we can go back through the years and think about the different gifts that we've received. Now let me ask you a different question. What's the best gift you've ever given anybody at Christmas? Maybe there was something special, kids, that you gave your mom and dad, or maybe parents or something special you gave to your children or something special that you've given to another family member or to a friend. You know, and we want to think about, when we think about these, these gifts, we ask the question, well, why, why is it the, the greatest gift? Why do I think Reese's Cups with Reese's Pieces in it are the best gift ever? So we want to ask that question, why? So if we went around the room and if we began to share all these things, we'd certainly become impressed with all the gifts that have been given and received around the room. But this morning... As we come and we examine this gift God has given to us, that he has sent Jesus to us, this is the gift that tops all other gifts. This is the gift that really keeps on giving. (laughs) This is Jesus who has come and given himself to us. You see, God has given us a great gift. He is the ultimate gift giver. He is the reason why we can give gifts to one another. And he enables us to give gifts to one another. You see, at the first Christmas, the standard of the greatest gift was set. And the first question that we asked ourselves today, what is the greatest gift that we've received? That question was really answered, wasn't it? Because Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, born of a virgin, placed in a manger. In the most humble circumstances, he came down to us. He came to live and to die and then live again through his resurrection, that we might trust in him and have eternal life. He came down to lift us out of our sin and despair and to bring us joy beyond what we could imagine. And he invites us into an eternal relationship with him. There is no greater gift. And so the question, as we, in a way, unwrap this gift once again, is how do you respond to the greatest gift you've ever received? You've opened a package from the God of the universe that gives you everything you could possibly need in a relationship with him and eternal life. How are you going to respond? Well, the wise men who came from the east found themselves kind of asking the same question. How are they going to respond to this wonderful gift? They had seen the star. They knew the gift had come. They probably didn't know everything that there was to know about Jesus or the star, or even where the star was going. Even today, we don't know all that much about these wise men. We knew they were from the east. We knew they were maybe from Persia, perhaps. But even that's not certain. What is clear is that they had to travel a long way to get to Jerusalem, and eventually to get to Jesus. Imagine waking up tomorrow and being told you had to get from Huntsville to, say, Washington, D.C., that would be a similar distance to probably what the wise men had to cover. Now, we would get a plane ticket or perhaps plan on a couple of days of driving. But the wise men, of course, didn't have that luxury as they traveled with animals and they traveled on foot. But for all we don't know about these wise men, we do know a couple of things. One thing we know is that they were Gentiles. 
Notice in verse 2 that they were asking for the one who had been born the king of the Jews. You see, they were far away from the Messiah in more ways than just distance. They were pagans. They were Gentiles. They were outside of the covenant that God had made with his people. But at this point, God has already begun the work of extending his kingdom to the Gentiles. And the coming of these wise men is a picture of that. God pursued them by sending them a star, communicating to them in a unique way that they would understand and leading them to the place where Jesus was. You see, the door of the salvation, the door to the salvation of the world was swinging wide open in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see times where the door is cracked a little bit. We see someone like Ruth come in, right? He's outside of the people of God and comes into the people of God. But now, as the New Testament unfolds, beginning with the wise men, the door's opening wider. And God's expanding His kingdom. And Christ came into the world to save sinners. And these wise men were some of the first responders. The other thing we know about these wise men is that their purpose was clear. That they knew what they needed to do. They had come to worship the king. This caused quite a stir in Jerusalem, as you might imagine. As the wise men show up there and are asking about this, people are going, the king? The king's been born? When did that happen? I didn't get the memo. But the word then reached another king. and His name was Herod. And his response to this child being born was quite different than the wise men, wasn't it? You see, he was a king, and he was threatened by the prospect of another king. And he eventually thinks of all the worst-case scenarios. The people are conspiring against me. There's another king out there. I've got to get rid of him. Herod was a descendant of Esau. He was an Edomite. He was not a Jew. He was a strong ruler. He was a cruel ruler. He was very mean. And the thought of someone taking his power stirred up anger within him. At this point, although he doesn't know it yet, Herod is actually close to the end of his life at this time. So he begins his own pursuit of Jesus. He begins to collect his information. He gathers the best scholars around. He asks the question, well, where? Where is this king? The chief priests quote Micah 5.2. It's in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So Herod asked the question where, and he gets a little more than he bargained for. He finds out that not only that this king will be born in Bethlehem, but he finds out the type of king that this will be. This king will shepherd his people. Herod had built amazing buildings in his time. He had led in battle. He had gained a lot of power. But there was one thing that he was not. He was not a shepherd. This king is not like Herod. Instead of being cruel, he will shepherd his people and care for them. He will even lay down his life for his sheep. Notice that Herod does not relax after he learns this information. What would scare him about this child that the wise men had come to worship? The words Bethlehem and the word shepherd probably weren't a problem for Herod. 
He could deal with those things. But the verse said that this shepherd would rule, that he would rule Israel. And this was a big problem for Herod. And he began to find ways to plot and search and try to bring down this new king. So he calls the wise men in. He questions them about the star to find out when they had seen it and all those things. And then he dispatches them because he doesn't want to get his hands dirty yet, does he? He dispatches them to go to go to Bethlehem to find a child so that Herod can worship him too, right? Because we know if we read further in Matthew 2 that that was not his intention. So, so far we have two responses to the child being born. The wise men are pursuing the child to worship him. And Herod is pursuing the child to kill him under the disguise of worshiping him. Yet there's a third response in this passage that maybe we don't think about as much. And that's the response of the chief priests and the scribes. They had all the information. They provided Herod with the coordinates of where the Messiah was to be born. Probably pretty impressive without the GPS to do that. They're probably pretty good Bible Jeopardy players. But notice what they did not do. They did not run to Bethlehem and join the wise men. They stayed right where they were. They did not bother to pursue Christ. So now we have three responses, don't we? We have the wise men pursuing Christ who who can't wait to go and worship him. We have Herod pursuing Christ who can't wait to go and kill him. And we have the chief priests and the scribes who are content to not do anything and to ignore the king of the universe coming down to earth. And so here, these various responses and pursuits become one for a moment. As we look in the passage and we see the story unfold, if we were watching this on a, on a movie version of it, for the first time, we would start getting nervous, wouldn't we? Say, no, wise men, run, run away. Get away from Herod. He's up to no good. It looks bleak at this point, doesn't it? The wise men have been brought into Herod's plan, even though they don't know what Herod intends. And it looks as if Herod's Herod's evil plan might have a chance of succeeding. But let's hit the fast-forward button for a moment. One of the phrases that Jesus says in various points of his ministry as people are coming after him and trying to kill him is this. He says, my time has not yet come. And this is one of those situations. Herod is the first of many who would attempt to take Jesus' life. And he, he probably had the easiest shot at it, if you think about it. But Herod is not in control here. Jesus' time had not yet come. And so the wise men would learn later in the dream to not go back to Herod. And Joseph would learn in the dream later in chapter 2 to flee to Egypt in order for Jesus to be protected. You see, Herod's pursuit of Jesus would end in vain. But he would do a lot of damage in the process. But the other pursuit in the story, that pursuit was successful. Because after the wise men left Herod, they once again encountered the star that they had seen when they began their journey. The text tells us that the star moved ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. This was not a random astronomical occurrence. 
The same God who brings out the starry host, as Isaiah 40 tells us, and calls them each by name, is certainly powerful enough to move a special star from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to the place where Jesus was whenever He wants to. And it's here where we begin to see a more complete picture of the wise men's response to the king. Up to this point, we know that their purpose was to worship him, and that they have pursued him diligently by faith. But in verse 10, we get a more complete picture of their response to the gift. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were overjoyed. They hadn't even gotten to Jesus yet, and they're already overjoyed. When I was younger, and we had Christmas at my parents' house, the way our house was designed is that my brothers and I would go downstairs and we would end up in the kitchen. And in the kitchen, you could kind of see into the den, and you can see part of it, but you couldn't see all of it. You know what I mean? So we'd kind of get to the kitchen, and we weren't allowed to go into the den yet until mom and dad gave the word, right? And so what we would do, though, is we would kind of look around the corner, And we couldn't see, like, the presents, and we couldn't see all that stuff. But you know what we could see? Kids, we could see part of the Christmas tree, right? And so we'd kind of look, you know, as hard as we could, and all we could really see was part of the Christmas tree. And you know what we would do? We would get real excited. And we would start dancing and singing and whatever else because we knew that the Christmas tree was wonderful, but we knew there was something under that tree, right? We knew there was a gift under the tree to go and to open. We were excited to see the tree because we knew what was under it. And that's how it is for the wise men here. That's on a much bigger scale for them, obviously. They see the star, and they're overjoyed. But it's really because of what's under the star, right? They know they're going to worship the king. So their pursuit has come to an end, and they're, But they're yet to fulfill their purpose. But they're already filled with joy. You see, they're beginning to understand what the prophets of old had promised. Then what the star was leading them to were the same thing. They knew they were about to see this Messiah that they had heard about and to worship Him. And they were filled with joy. Friends, our purpose, as the wise men was, is to worship Christ. Perhaps their joy was overflowing due to the fact they they had claimed their purpose and they knew they were about to fulfill it. They were getting ready to see Christ and to worship Him. And there was nothing that was going to hinder them from that. So we have to ask, kind of do some introspection and ask ourselves, when we come to worship, do we come with anticipation? Do we come looking forward with joy to celebrating all that Christ has done for us. Sometimes we come with a lot of different motivations and burdens and there's things to do and things have happened and circumstances. And sometimes maybe we forget our purpose. But friends, we were made to worship the living God and to live life to His glory. And we, we, when we claim that purpose that He's given us of worshiping Him, that's when the joy comes. Because it's about Christ and what He's done for us. It's about the joy He brings because He is joy. He's the one who has come down from the throne of heaven to embrace a manger 
and to be held in it. He's the one who took on a human body. He took on flesh. And then later he takes on a rugged cross to die for us, to die for our sins. And he's the one who ultimately rose and defeated death as he rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he lives now, our King reigning forever, interceding on behalf of his people. And he's the one who's done all this for you and for me and he offers the gift of eternal life to those who put their faith in him. The wise men, they entered the house, they, they saw Jesus and they saw his mother. They cast themselves to the ground and worshipped him. See, they gave themselves in worship first. And then they gave their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gifts that were fit for a king. This was their response to the greatest gift that had ever been received. They worshipped. And so this morning as we close, what is your response to this greatest gift that's ever been given? If you've not received the gift of Jesus Christ, if you've not put your faith in Him, what a wonderful day this would be to do that. The free offer of the gospel stands. All that He requires of us is to, to recognize our need of Him, to recognize that we can't save ourselves, to repent of our sin, and to put our faith and trust in Christ, trusting Him for salvation, and then receiving the wonderful gifts that He brings with Him of eternal life, a relationship with Him for now and eternity. And this morning, if, you, if you've received the greatest gift ever given, this morning let me remind you and remind myself, we must remember our purpose. Let us continue to pursue Christ daily in order that we may worship Him. Let us ask God to give us that joy that often eludes us in the busyness of life. Let us exercise faith, as the wise men did, and follow Him, giving of ourselves in response to all that He has given to us. Let us sing and worship as we grow together in this new year as a church family. And let us spread the good news of great joy that is for all people, that unto us this day has been born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We know that he came, that he lived, and he died and was raised for us. Lord, we ask that you would continually remind us of your good gift, that you would renew us, that you would give us hope, you would give us faith, you would give us joy as we respond to the greatest gift that's ever been given. Lord, we pray that you would help us to spread the news, the good news of great joy, that Christ has been born for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.